Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Bob Phillips. Bob has been with us a number of times during his uh, nearly 20-year run as uh, the head of Common Cause North Carolina. Bob, tell us a little bit about Common Cause North Carolina. Uh, it's unique uh, in the fact that it is an advocacy group, but uh, uh, you are nonpartisan based on issues rather than on party politics. That's right. Uh, actually, last month, 50 years ago, was when Common Cause uh, was actually formed or created in 1970 by a fellow named John Gardner, who was a Republican uh, for what it's worth and had been in the Johnson administration as the HEW secretary, I guess, maybe back in a time when there was a little bit more of that uh, bipartisan look to some of the, you know, administrations and their cabinets. But it was founded basically, you know, with the sort of mission of uh, more open, honest, and accountable government advocating for that. And uh, as Gardner often talked about, people power, uh, bringing citizens together for a common cause. And some of the big things that, you know, we've worked on in North Carolina included simple things like it used to be when you had a vote in the legislature, there was no board to see how people voted. And uh, so things like that, up to many of the changes we've seen in voting, including what we talked about with early voting, you know, for the longest time in North Carolina, it was just election day voting only, campaign finance reform, lobbying ethics reform. We are advocates for things that we believe will improve our democracy and again, Don, as you say, in a nonpartisan fashion, I have been around a while, as you've uh, noted, uh, and I value the ability to work with people from both sides of the aisle. And we have done that, particularly on issues such as lobbying and ethics reform. Uh, but uh, there's no shortage of work. And um, as much as I'd love to say, hey, maybe what I do won't be needed anytime soon, um, there certainly seems to be much, much more work for us to try to do in our minds, to improve democracy. Bob, uh, one of the things that uh, is, I guess, the biggest change I've personally seen from our point of view as being in the media has been the uh, importance of super PACs, third-party money. Uh, this is a relatively new uh, concept. Uh, I guess with what we've had, what, three elections or four maybe, um, where this has been a, a factor, and it's getting to be increasingly so. Uh, as uh, we have told our listeners several times, when a candidate runs the ad, they usually have a disclaimer at the end of the ad, and it says this ad was paid for uh, by so-and-so, and I approve it. Um, so that's a candidate ad. And, uh, uh, but then, then the super PACs come in and uh, buy ads, usually focused on an issue, but usually they come down on the side of one candidate or the other. Uh, what is your view about super PACs and, and uh, this change in our uh, election process? I wish we didn't have them, obviously. In fact, the whole big money in politics is one of the biggest uh, issues for us. And we wished we could have alternatives to that. Candidates do need money to run a campaign, but we wish we could make it something different from wealthy donors and or corporations the super PACs that came about from the Citizens United decision from the U.S. Supreme Court enabled any individual or any corporation to spend unlimited amounts of money to for the, for the purposes of electing or defeating a candidate as long as there was no coordination. 
And it's money that's not transparent. We often don't know exactly who is behind it. And uh, it's often called soft money or dark money. And Don, what we've seen is that this soft and dark money has become so enormous that it's actually a bigger impact than what the candidates themselves, you know, raise. And uh, I think it's a very disturbing fact of our political world, campaign finance world. Uh, and we hope that there can be reforms someday pushed to kind of push this special interest, big money out of the picture and provide uh, better alternatives. Bob, the other big change that's happened in, uh, in our careers, especially is if you go back to the 80s, we had the three major networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And most of the news that was on and received by the American public came from those three networks. Uh, and then, of course, along came CNN. And then before you know it, we've got a wrath of cable channels. Um, how has that affected the whole political scene? Well, you know, I think the candidates can kind of play to those favorite networks or broadcast entities that they uh, have. And I just feel like it's unfortunate that we don't have the old days. Maybe it's me being nostalgic of what you felt were kind of trusted sources of news that were more objective than perhaps what we see. I think from a standpoint of our own work as well, uh, as we don't see as many local reporters, newspapers, um, maybe the broadcast hadn't changed as much, but um, so much of our ability to kind of get our message out uh, came from having that other set of eyes and ears watching the General Assembly or Congress. And from a standpoint, as, as you know, the Capitol Press Corps, as we called it, it's a shell of what it was from back in the 1980s. Uh, back when, you know, you and I worked together, uh, but those were some golden years for having a robust uh, Raleigh Capital Press Corps, and it's a shame we don't have it now. And, of course, the other big backdrop to that is the dying influence of the, so, uh, of the daily newspaper, which has just really become a shell of its former self as far as importance. It, it has. I mean, I know that as we speak, there was a story out of... Uh, North Carolina, where the Greensboro and the Winston-Salem papers just unfortunately let some folks go. Um, and, you know, I, I still subscribe to the News and Observer. It's uh, electronic. It's not the paper form because, you know, that's really where you're going to be kept up to date. Uh, but uh, it's regretful that we don't have as many reporters around as we once did. And I don't know really what the answer is. I know it's all connected to the advertising, but uh, print particularly has been just um, gutted uh, by this, you know, new world we live in. Well, the other thing that happens also, and, and uh, even the people who are uh, so influenced by what I'm getting ready to say will, will admit it, but people find a news source that agrees with them. And so it supports their position and makes them even firmer. And they sometimes don't hear the other side. Those who watch Fox News or uh, even CNN or watching a, a more liberal uh, view of the news. Uh, I mean, uh, conserv uh, Fox would be more uh, conservative and CNN and MSNBC would be more conservative. And so they they don't hear the other side as much. And that bothers me a great deal because uh, merely reinforcing what you already believe is not a good way of doing any research. 
I agree with you. And I think from a societal standpoint, you know, it kind of tri- or filters down to choices we make of where we live, where we work, the kind of activities we get involved in. We seemingly, when I say we, society, making more choices about wanting to be just around the people who think the way they do only and look, you know, with a jaundiced or with a critical eye towards anyone who thinks differently. And that's true on, you know, quote, both sides. Uh, And I'm very troubled by this as well. The other big change, of course, if we we divide this into four big changes, the the lack of the influence of the daily newspaper, the lack of the influence of the three major networks, uh, and the emergence of a number of news channels. The fourth change, of course, is social media or digital. And uh, the problem with social media is uh, whether or not it's accurate, because you can say almost anything you want to, social media, and because people are accustomed to what is printed is usually uh, has been accepted as being fact, sometimes that leads to an awful lot of confusion. It really does. Uh, And again, I mean, I know what you're touching upon speaks to bigger issues as well, but uh, I do worry too about profiles and things people might say or put on uh, these things like Instagram and Facebook or what have you. And maybe when it's kids who have done something, which uh, then becomes almost a permanent record and somebody is branded as something, uh, you know, at an age where maybe uh, back when you and I were coming along, I guess, goodness knows, if there had been recordings of everything we had said and done, we wouldn't be where we are sitting here right now. And that's partly another part of all this that uh, troubles me as well. Well, you know, I go back to the WPTF radio files and I find a lot of the political broadcasts from the 40s and the uh, 50s, the late 40s and the 50s, were in the form of 15 and 30 minute uh, political broadcasts. And of course, what most candidates talked about was what they were in favor of. Now we are focusing almost entirely on negative ads. And so we, a lot, uh, many cases, we know what somebody is opposed to, not necessarily what they're in favor of. Yeah, it's indeed sort of the formula of you, if you have the money to advertise, you do a feel-good commercial or two, but really then you're attacking uh, your opponent, trying to define your opponent uh, to the electorate. And then that's where, too, some of these gotcha moments or what we call October surprises, you know, can be out there, too, for the for the drama or dramatics of it. Um, it's a shame, but that is unfortunately the pattern we're in. By the way, I would mention this, that the super PAC money, uh, we uh, in broadcasting have no choice about what a political candidate says because they're protected. <clears throat> but uh, the super PAC money, the commercials come in and very often we send them back and say, you know, you can't say that without documentation. Uh, and uh, they will have some loose form of documentation. But the truth of the matter is uh, it, it's uh, it's all usually pretty uh pretty negative. And I like the term dark money because basically that's what it is. Dark money indeed, Don. We just need to get more transparency of where this money is coming from. Well, again, uh, this is uh, sort of new for all of us in a way, and it is certainly having a major impact on the way elections are run. 
Well, our guest is Bob Phillips. He's the executive director of Common Cause North Carolina, and we'll be back with one final segment right after these messages. In small towns and big cities, from coast to coast and around the world, Habitat for Humanity volunteers gather with purpose. Hand in hand, they come together. They may be strangers or they may be friends, but they are all builders of hope and home. Hammers are raised, bricks are laid, dreams take shape, and another family finds shelter in a home they help build. Through their time and talents, Habitat for Humanity volunteers are helping change lives for the better, and in the process, maybe even changing their own lives as well. Together, we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support the work of Habitat for Humanity in your community or wherever your heart leads you. Now more than ever, please volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. When we get old, will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease... What then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. And welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest, as we've said several times before in this program, is Bob Phillips. He's the Executive Director of Common Calls North Carolina, an advocacy group that is uh, bipartisan and it focuses on issues. And uh, with Bob, of course, is a former broadcaster and former member of the staff of WPTF back in the dark age, uh, dark ages when he and I were just puppies. Uh, and I'm older than he is, I have to admit that. But anyway, Bob, uh, we've had a, a lot of uh, discussion during this program about uh, the uh, election process that's going on. Uh, which is very much affected by the whole overall effects of COVID-19, not only the issues, but also the fact that we're going to have a lot of mail-in or absentee voting. And I think you said earlier, as many as one million of North Carolina's five million likely voters will probably cast their votes that way. That's the way things are projecting right now, Don. Um, Again, it's a... uh, an option that everyone can consider. And as I mentioned too, uh, you can now do it by your phone. You can go to uh, the SBE site and it's an electronic portal. And this is brand new where you can make the request for an absentee ballot. You cannot vote electronically, but you can request the ballot from your phone. But um, we are seeing this as a viable option. And again, to repeat, if you do get an absentee ballot, you can hold on to it. And if you decide that you want to vote early or vote on election day, you can still do it. But because every absentee ballot has a barcode unique to the voter, that prevents anyone from voting twice. We, uh, uh, you gave about the best explanation of why North Carolina is perhaps a little bit uh, uh, better prepared for this type of voting than most other states. And the fact that the vote count may not be as delayed in North Carolina as as it might be in other states. And credit both sides of the General Assembly, Republicans and Democrats who did come together earlier this year and passed this bipartisan bill 
that did make some changes to voting by mail. And one of the changes they made was extending the time that county board of elections across North Carolina can physically open those absentee ballots in a public meeting. It's going to start five weeks before the election, September 29th. But at least that way, the ballots can be flattened out, run through a tabulator, not for an official count, but at least getting the votes processed and tabulated where we're not one of those states come 7.30 election night, we're just starting. In this case, we've got a great head start and we're one of the, I won't say few states, but certainly not every state has that advantage that we do. Well, obviously, uh, this is going to be a matter of concern and uh, uh, we are accustomed to knowing when we go to bed on uh, election night are usually pretty certain of who the president is. We had, uh, of course, the Florida situation a couple of years ago with the uh, voting machine problem. But other than that, uh, we usually have a pretty good idea in the last 25 uh, or last 30 years or so of who's been elected. We also talked about how important the United States Senate race is in North Carolina, because this could very well be the deciding factor on who controls the the United States Senate. are what three or four seats that the Democrats uh, have uh, really targeted. Uh, there are a couple of seats that the Republicans might gain. So that's going to be an interesting situation to follow that. Uh, um, and of course, uh, the uh, tie of 50-50 would give the Democrats an advantage. That's if they take, obviously, the, um, well, it would give them an advantage where they would be closer. But uh, just like in the Senate of the North Carolina Senate, uh, Vice President, I guess, would be the the tiebreaker, depending upon who wins. But North Carolina, we are increasingly, you know, the maybe the most biggest battleground state there is and how closely contested these statewide races are. Um, and certainly um, it reflects what we are, and that is a we are a purple state. Well, Bob, when you and I started this business, uh, we, North Carolina was sort of a also run factor as far as the federal government. We have grown in population to the point where we have uh, a, an increasingly number, uh, an increasing number of electoral votes. We also have now 13 congressional seats, and likely after the census, we're going to have 14. And uh, then on top of that, we are definitely a purple state. We, uh, you can look at the registration, but then you've got to look at the high number of people who are registered as unaffiliates, and uh, we are just plain a purple state. That's all there is to it. That's not all bad, as we talked about earlier, when you have these highly competitive contests, you do hope uh, that that will tend to be making folks want to work together after the fact. Um, I think our North Carolina General Assembly will tighten up from uh, from where where the numbers are. One party is going to control, obviously, although we could have one chamber controlled by one party and another by the other. But um, all that, as we mentioned earlier, might lead to... uh, a, a more of a willingness to reach across the aisle and work together. And of course, this goes up and down the ballot because the council of state positions are up. And uh, because uh, there's going to be so much money spent on the top races, many of these candidates will not be able to do much advertising. Uh, so uh, who takes the top seats is definitely going to affect the down ballots, the various council of state positions and the, uh, in many cases, the judicial races. So uh, it's, it's going to be a really interesting night. Uh, do you see anything that will happen in North Carolina 
in particular that might uh, make a major change in the way people are thinking right now? Because right now, all the polls I'm seeing is it looks like it's very tight. I think folks are locked in. I mean, I know that's an anecdote, but people seem to be so either I'm for this candidate or I'm for the other at the presidential place. And you just wonder how many undecideds really are there? And of course, that's where the fight is. I mean, I guess something dramatic could always happen at a national level that could affect North Carolina politics. But, you know, on those down ballot races, too, that's where coattails uh, traditionally matter. But of course, we no longer have the straight party ticket voting anymore. So somebody has to go down and select uh, a candidate in every contest. Uh, but it, people seem to be very much locked in, from what I can tell. Yeah, one, one major difference in North Carolina is the uh, governor and the lieutenant governor are not on the same ticket, whereas the president and the vice president are all on the same ticket. So we could have a situation in North Carolina where the uh, we have a Democratic governor or a Republican governor and uh, a lieutenant governor from the opposite party. We've had that situation before. So that's have, it right, have it right now. And, of course, as you mentioned, I used to work for – uh, a lieutenant governor, and that's when they were of the same party. And uh, it, there would be probably, maybe it, they should run as a team. That's a whole other conversation. But you're right. We could have, uh, once again, people from different parties serving in those two offices. Well, it's going to be a very interesting uh, uh, next two months. And uh, uh, I guess, well, actually, it's less than two months now. The time is going by very rapidly. Bob, we certainly appreciate you being with us. Uh, Bob Phillips, the Executive Director of Common Cause North Carolina, an advocacy group that uh, uh, has uh, been the employer of Bob now for nearly 20 years, and he's been a frequent guest on our program. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Or if you missed uh, two segments, as some of our stations only carry a 30-minute version of the program, you can also pick up those segments by going to carolinanewsmakers.com. I'd address again, carolinanewsmakers.com. And by the way, all of the previous programs that Bob Phillips has shared with us are also available in our archives. And that uh, uh, is kind of interesting to go back and hear some of Bob's old programs as well. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he faithfully promises me that he will have another interesting guest for us next week on this same group of stations. So until next week, same time, same station, all across North Carolina, we hope you and yours have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.